Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. I am here on a lovely Friday afternoon. It is, uh, you know, we're moving here towards the weekend. And I've got Josh Levin with us. Is it Levin? Yep, that's right. Awesome. Uh, we've got Josh Levin with us from Honeycomb.io, who is a manager of customer success over there based out of the California area. Um, and so, Josh, appreciate you taking some time here on a Friday. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. Um, all right. I like to, I didn't, I did not warn you about these and I do that on purpose, but I do typically like to do about two or three icebreakers to get to know the audience. Um, so <clears throat> first one I've been going to is, uh, if Josh had to describe his perfect Sunday morning, what does that look like? You know, it's like your bluebird Sunday morning. Like, this is what you, you kind of hope they're all like. Oh, that's a good. Good one. Um, it, I think it, a lot of it depends on geography, which I am not currently in. But if, if let's theoretically paint a picture of me in a beach house, let's say a beach house, waking up at like eight or nine a.m. So a little bit of sleeping, a little bit, but not too much. Wake up, cup of coffee, go out to the beach, just chill, and then uh, probably something very, very leisurely. My, my my wife can speak to how boring I am on the weekends, and I love it that way. <laughs> I'm I'm, uh, I'm pretty boring on the weekends myself too. Uh, you know, if I can find. Typically, it's like if there's a sports game on, um, a big like football fan or soccer, or football and soccer, like American football and soccer. Um, so like if I can find anything on, I'll watch it. Uh, and my, it drives my wife nuts because it's like sometimes I'll be watching a game. She's like, do you even know who these teams are? I'm like, well, you know, it's like MLS or something. I don't know. You know, just watching. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of like that, though. It's like I don't need much, you know, just uh, watch some sports maybe on the weekend. Uh, if I can get outside, that'd be awesome, too. We live near the beach, like 30 minutes away. So, like, we'll, you know, drive to the beach if we can. So kind of along that route. Nice. Nice. And I, I, I'm very ashamed as a very passionate LA Rams fan. I should have, uh, should have queued in like, Oh, a Sunday. Okay. Sunday football. But I'm so used to the, you know, the long summer of no football. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I need to remember. I, I forget that. Oh, that's right. In a few weeks that I'll be seeing my Rams play again. So yes, with the, with the caveat that Friday, Sunday nights, assuming the Rams are playing this, you know, I'll be watching. There you go. As well. uh, I'm a huge Buffalo Bills fan. Um, so we'll, I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm, you know, two weeks from yesterday, I'll make sure to uh, shoot you a message and we'll um, maybe we'll get like a little, um, small side bet going on of uh, that opening game, you know, uh, that'll be pretty fun. I'm excited about that. Opening season. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, all right. Second question uh, I like to ask is who, who is somebody um, doesn't have to be kind of like a, uh, a famous person or anything like that, but like who's somebody that you have um, seen their writing recently, or like maybe you follow them on uh, like LinkedIn or Twitter, or you've just read an article, but who's kind of somebody that comes to mind for you it can be, across any industry, you know, it can be anything, but like, you know, when you think about kind of somebody who's impacted you recently in terms of like thought leadership or strategy or um, kind of knowledge that you've been gaining, like who's somebody that you just think is like an interesting follow that you're like, wow, this is, this really hit me the other day. It's kind of the first thing that popped in my mind. Yeah. I mean, there, there's the obvious one of like the, the, the folks that I work with at Honeycomb because the, the, the people that I, I have worked with or worked under and the people I currently work under, I have a huge amount of respect for and strategize them a lot. Um, but I'd say like out in the community, um, someone who I've had the, the chance to work with in the past, um, who I, I, I consider a, you know, a mentor of sorts in, in, to a sense is, is Rachel Proban, um, who, uh, you know, she was recently at Doodle. She's been elsewhere. She's definitely a thought contributor and a thought leader in CS. And I, I really respect and appreciate a lot of the, the stances that she takes. And I can consider her, a, I, I think, a friend of sorts. Hopefully, hopefully she feels somewhat of the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll find out. But, um, but, uh, but she's, she, she's, I, I've talked with her in the past just about CS and about how she's gone where she's 
she's gone, where she is now. Um, and I definitely, you know, read a lot of what she writes. I'll put it that way. That's cool. Yeah. I've gotten to know her a little bit over the last number of uh, weeks and months and agree about her. Um, yeah. She's definitely been, been putting out some great stuff. I know, I think she just got the chance to meet Jay uh, out at Pulse, um, which was That's cool. Right, yeah. So um, hopefully I'll get the chance to meet her soon, but I like that. It's good. Good one. Uh, all right. Last icebreaker and then we can go on, but um, you were, you were mentioning watches earlier, you know, you're into, um, into the watch scene. So what is, what's like your go-to brand right now? Like what's, what's a brand of watches that you're just interested in? That's, uh, you're kind of diving into a wormhole. Oh, that, 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 that's an easy one for me to answer. My, by far my favorite brand, which is a brand that no, if you're, if you're not really into watches, it probably is meaningless to you. So maybe I'll, you know, this brand will uh, give me some money for increasing the Google searches for this. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, Gigi Lecoult is my, my favorite watch brand. It's, uh, a, a brand, uh, they just, uh, the quick snippet about them is that they are one of the most instrumental brands in the current state of the watch industry because they've been around for longer than Rolex, longer than um, Audemars Piguet, longer than a lot of other really big brands that people know about and contributed the the movements to those brands. Like the original, some of the original Rolex Daytonas, the brand, the watch that I think a lot of people know that don't even, don't know watches too well. The original movement was made by Gigi Lecoult. And the same can be said about a lot of brands from Patek Philippe and Audemars Piguet. Um, they're it, like the watchmakers, watchmaker, as they're called in the industry. Yeah. So they are by, by far my favorite brand. That is, um, so I think the episode that I was telling you about, I was listening to that podcast and they were talking about like the history of Rolex. They mentioned how they were getting movements from another brand. And they also mentioned how the origins of like, just thinking about how, you know, back in when they first started making watches, how like almost like out of thin air, they made these like competitions of who can who can basically make the best movement um, and have the most precise movement. And uh, they started like having a competition around that. And so like, they kind of talked about this early stage of like, you know, there was only two to three to four people that were like um, skilled enough at making these. And so they kind of talked about like how interesting that was like, Oh man, like they got together and started having like this um, competition to see like these movements and who, whose was um, kind of most precise, most accurate. And uh, I thought that was just pretty interesting. But yeah, it's, it's funny. You mentioned that. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, awesome. All right. I think the for today, what we wanted to dive into was, um, you know, at Honeycomb, it sounds like you all um, are engaging with, you know, an enterprise level customer. And you've had to think about um, just building the right teams, building the right um, structures and making sure you've got the r- kind of the right engagements with those uh, customers. And so uh, maybe just a, a place to start, right? When you think about um, the enterprise level and kind of in building that team around it, how have you thought about, you know, the types of roles maybe that, that kind of makes sense for your customer success team. And um, I would imagine it, it probably isn't just a customer success manager um, that you're, you're building. You're, you're probably thinking about um, kind of a broader set of skills to make sure that those enterprise customers can be supported. So I'm just curious, how have you thought about kind of um, building that team structure and kind of the skill sets that you have? Yeah, I think there's like two two things worth pointing out uh, around how we're doing things at Honeycomb. And I, the first is like how where we started as a CS organization and our initial plans for how we would build out the enterprise customer base in terms of CS and kind of what we recently did. So where we started and how I started at Honeycomb was I, I was hired on as a customer architect. What we what we call a uh, I'm using air quotes even though nowhere in audio air quotes of customer architect, which is um, a lot of in a lot of other um, industries is called a solutions architect or depending on the flavor, but it's essentially a customer facing technical resource 
Um, and that's really the, 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 all, all there is to that. Um, and the way we had planned it initially is that for enterprise customers, that the, the CA, the customer architect, would have a book of business, but they are technically skilled enough or technically exposed enough to, have, to you know, dive into the deep end, like get, drill into it, get into the weeds, whatever, whatever um, metaphor you want to use, but be able to drive value at a technical level with our customers. The reason for that is that um, unlike a lot of uh, B2B um, companies, our primary customer base are engineers and very, very talented engineers at that, like Fortune 500 companies, engineers that could, you know, uh, uh, code circles around me, essentially. Yeah. Um, so we, need, we needed folks that could have those strategic conversations, but also get into the weeds. And we did that for a while. We, have, we just hired linearly that way. We hired uh, customer architects and they had a book of business. We realized... Um, I wouldn't even say quickly, but we realized over time that it's it's going to be pretty painful to scale, um, mainly because customer architects are, are are hard to find. People in that field that don't mind, that really enjoy talking to customers, driving value, having strategy conversations, don't the Venn diagram of those folks and those that like are nerdy enough, like 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 me, to to want to drill into like the technical side of things, like infrastructure, um, building out software, getting signal from your software. There's not a lot of crossover. Um, so for, for that reason and for like just bandwidth reasons, that is that model wasn't going to scale super well. So credit to my, my, my manager at the time, who is now um, a valued colleague of mine, Irving. He had the foresight to think, you know, maybe we this is the, the inflection point where we start to think about diversification, where we start um, incorporating a new role called the we'll call it a technical CSM to manage um at the time, we thought maybe just like the lower bandwidth of enterprise customers, but we'll see how it pans out. Um, and then maybe this will grow into something new. We deployed that. Um, it went absolutely wonderfully. The TCSMs that we hired um, from day one all the way until now, our TCSM team, I, I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I, I manage a lot of them, but they are rock stars. They are great at talking to customers. They're great at managing a large book of business and still have the technical prowess to have like interesting conversations about software and infrastructure and that sort of thing. Um, and so now where we're at, where we're at now is we haven't, we didn't, we didn't phase out customer architect because we realized that for some of the really in-depth stuff, we need folks who are specialized, who know AWS, who can drill into the, the deep end or drive it, dive into the deep end. So um, we recently um, diversified even more and have the TCSMs as a separate team um, that manage the accounts and the customer architects as a specialized team that are brought in and deployed as like a specialized resource to help you know a customer get even more out of the tool. Um, that was a very long-winded answer. Apologies, but that's essentially where we're at now. Is we, we're about a month into that new model of TCSMs with custom architects, as well as other teams like support engineering, onboarding engineering, those types of things. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I actually just had a one-on-one -on -one with one of those architects this morning, and we're we're reflecting like a month in, things have gone really really well. Like there's no major fires. We can we can fine tune it a bit, but it's it's been going really really well for everyone. Yeah, that's um, knock on wood, right? No major fires yet. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Um, famous last words. That's so, and and so that's it. Um, you're kind of making that this distinction, and and so um, I guess as you were kind of rolling this out to the team, and then you think about how it's landed on the customers, has it? Have you been able to make that distinction of kind of like, okay, your your TCSM is. Um, you know, is your relationship manager plus, you know, knows enough of the technical side that they can kind of um, help, you know, with some things, but then the architect is coming in as, as really kind of the um, subject matter expert, kind of the technical expert that can. So have you been able to, I guess, distinguish those as like, hey, this is kind of relationship driven and value. And then, hey, this is your um, 
technical kind of hands-on person who can really dive in? Is that how you thought about it? And then do you think that's landed well with the customers? Yeah, for the most part, I, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't make, make a small correction that I wouldn't say that like when we positioned this to our customers and when we, when we did position this to our customers, we, we purposely said that like, you shouldn't like as a customer, you shouldn't have to do some, do some weighing of, Oh, is this more of a CA question or a TCSM question? Yeah. Like by default, and we tell this all to all of our customers by default, just to assume the TCSM is your main point of contact when it comes to anything, Um, like the, especially anything technical, it's on the TCSM to decide, "Hmm, do I feel comfortable enough in this area of expertise to give a, an answer or is is this an escalation point? And then they do that mental math or that mental calculus pull in. We have an escalation process with the CAs with an Asana board and they get, it's a, it's a proper engagement with like gates and that sort of thing. Um, so like, and we, we do that for two reasons. One is that, like I said, that's a, a, a mental calculation that we, it shouldn't be burdened on the customer to do, but also to our, my TCSM's credit and to our team's credit, they, they know a fair amount about like engineering and software. Um, and a lot of the questions that, uh, a customer may think, oh, maybe it's an architect question. We can answer a good portion of them. Um, yeah. and, and it puts the onus on us to be a supportive role in all facets. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things that you mentioned that, um, I think, uh, I, I definitely subscribe to, which is the, the, the first one, which is at the end of the day, this is meant to benefit the customer. And, but at the same time, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, uh, make them question or think about doing something like that majorly different. Right. And I think in some cases, like if you look at some processes and, and we'll call that, you know, like some of the customer journeys that people build, you start realizing like, okay, you're really just adding like these mental hurdles for the customer, right? So it's like, oh, I'm an implementation. I met an implementation analyst. I have a CSM. I have a support person that I met. I have, it's like, okay, now I have five people, you know, who do I go to? And now I've just created this mental hurdle where now the customer is frustrated already before they've even done anything. Cause it's like, I don't know who the per- person is. And now I have to email five without, you know, knowing the response. So I like your point of like, no, this, this should be great for the customer, but also like they should still just see one person and say, hey, this is, this is it. Um, and then we'll make that distinction. All right. And that's the second thing I was going to um, say too, is like, it sounds uh, again, like, Hey, we uh, let us diagnose kind of the, the outcome and the problem. Um, let us diagnose that. And we'll figure out, like you said, is it the TCSM that can handle that? Or is it, Hey, we really need the architects come in. Um, but we don't want to put that. It's kind of like um, in some cases, like you're not letting your um you're not letting the customer maybe think like, hey, this is a high escalation priority, right? Like we should have processes that determine if that is true or in fact, um, and not have it, you know, a subjective customers just raising red flags whenever they want. So uh, yeah, there's a couple of things that I think just stood out, stood out to me of thinking like, okay, this is a benefit for the customer, but how do we really make sure that it stays that way? It doesn't feel like a kind of a mental burden that they have to get over. Absolutely. And, and it, it kind of speaks to not, not to cross pollinate too much, but the, um, a, a, um, a webinar I did with, with GGR a few months ago was about as a TCSM, how do you become like more technically valuable to your customer? Um, yeah. Like how do you enable yourself to be a more technical, valuable technical resource? And it was not just me. Well, it was kind of me just ranting as webinars <laughs> tend to be, but, um, but the reason, the reason for it is that like when, when you do that, when you do that, when you do modulate too much and you have silos and you put the onus on the customer uh, on top of all the not, wonderful things that make the, you know, that you put on the customer to, to own mentally, there's the the problem of like, 
um, siloing your TCSM to just being a shepherd. Like, like they did, you're, you're, you're setting the precedent that the TCSM or the CS, I should say, just say the customer success manager, the CSM, yeah. you're, you're, you're allowing them to fall into a pattern of just like, I'm going to be a shepherd. I, I'll point you to, in the right direction, but I'm not going to actually be able to do anything. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's, that's, da- that's dangerous for a, a variety of reasons that you should all listen to, to, to find out why, but it's, um, uh, but yeah, it's something that we, we try to, to, to buck that trend early on when we started this, this role at Honeycomb. Yeah. Like you're, I think what, in what you're describing too stands out because I think sometimes CSMs, the teams or the people themselves fall into a trap of, well, I'm just kind of the middleman, right? Hey, I'm just, I'm really just here to kind of move this from point A to point B or hey, and, uh, and so there needs to be that valuable component to it or else it does just become a middleman. And then you're like, okay, well, um, what's, what's really the value you're adding here, right? Is it in, um, and, and that's where I think in some cases you can kind of talk yourself out of like, is customer success a real thing? Like, should it exist? Right. Cause I think some people kind of say, well, we have an account management function or we have, um, a sales team. We've already got all these, you know, other roles that could, you know, like, why do we need customer success? And I think, you know, the way that you're describing it, you know, and, and the way that I think about it is like you, it should exist, but it needs to exist with this like value component next to it, which is, you know, hey, we're there to help under, help the customer understand what our product's doing to help solve their problems and then making that connection and helping them achieve that. Um, in some cases, I think that, that might get lost um, on some of those people. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that you've probably heard it thousands of times in the field, I've heard it thousands of times is the CSM as like the Swiss army knife of like of SaaS or of B2B, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And it's true um, when it's done right. And, but if you, you know, fall into that, that gap, then all you're going to be is the toothpick in the, the Swiss army knife instead of actually like all the multiple functions of a Swiss army knife. Um, yeah, that's, that's super true. The, other thing that I was just about to um, ask you if we could nerd out on for a minute too, is just understanding your, uh, it sounds like you all use Asana and it sounds like you've kind of built some processes and gates in there. And so how, how have you thought about um, using Asana in, in a way that, you know, kind of benefit the teams and that, and I guess, is it like a, let's say we're going to engage an architect. Is it kind of like they've got this um, as a TCSM, you're kind of inputting certain information so that they can get the right context and kind of the, the idea of what they need to come in and do. And then they're able to almost like, um, you know, generate kind of like this built-in SOW that says, okay, based on what you think the problem is, like, here's what I'm coming in to do. And they can kind of go through that. Is that how you, how it's kind of built? Yeah, kind of the, um, I will, it is worth a caveat that <laughs> of my team specifically, this is the one part of our process that actually involves Asana for my team. We very rarely use it. It's um, we're, we're primarily against site shop, very happily against site shop and use really most of the automation there. Most, most everything's baked in there, but, um, for, for this type of triaging stuff, Asana is a little better at it. So, um, but yes, exactly in that, in that function, um, the, that's CA team, um, has a list of things that are important for them to understand, like in triage, is this a quick one-off thing that you need help with, or is this like an extended engagement where the customer needs help, help actually building infrastructure and doing things that will take several sessions and that sort of thing. So there's a variety of questions we have. There's an intake form that was really well built by that team. Um, and like, that was actually the, the, the topic of that conversation with the architect I talked with this morning is like, okay, 
for the first month, it seems to be going well, but it looks like maybe there's a few other things that would be helpful to add as for, as fields in that form to help you help the CA team better plan and better um, kind of kind of handle and triage all these issues because their their one role isn't just to help with customer issues that come up. That's part of their day to day. They actually have a fee a function and credit to to the that person Irving who I talked about who manages that team now. He's done a phenomenal job so far. They have a concept of like a goalie where what every is like a three person team, actually a four person team. And every week there's one person who's like kind of on call to manage these, these customer incoming requests, but the rest of them, you know, they're there for escalation, but they're doing things like creating customer facing assets, building like GitHub repos for tools that are going to be helpful for our customers, like doing things that are not going, they're going to push us forward as a CS organization so that we're not just being reactive and putting out fires. We're actually like putting research and building um, into the future of the company, which is super awesome to think about um, at, at our scale. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. It reminds me of this, you know, um, you're kind of, it's like you're, you're going, um, above and beyond in a way that's like, this is really going to benefit the customer at the end of the day. Um, and it might not be today, but it is like an investment of like, you know, today and tomorrow and the next year. Um, and this, this also gets into something that I've just found recently, right. As I've kind of built these scaled customer programs and these teams is, um, the, nine times out of 10, there's like so much goodness that's happening in your organization, but people don't think like, oh, this could benefit all of our customers or could benefit even more than the, like a lot of times what I think I found was you'd be talking to a CSM and they'd say, uh, oh yeah, you know, I built this deck or I built, you know, a couple things uh, for our customer or, hey, you know, I showed them how to uh, architect the the um, software in this way to help solve a problem. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's such a good insight. We should turn that into content that we can send to everybody. And they'd be like, oh, you think more people don't know about that? And it's like, I think sometimes, you know, you're in that day-to-day so much that you're like, oh, surely somebody else probably knows this. Or, you know, I'm not a content creator. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm just a CSM like that. So you don't think of yourself in that way. But it, I think this is another example too, like you mentioned, where um, scaled customer programs and teams are now really looking for, actionable and valuable content. And it doesn't have to be from a, um, a content writer or a content producer, like it can be from your teams. Um, but you also can't make them feel like, uh, they have to go overproduce all these different things, right? It's like, Hey, if they can, if they're already doing it and capturing it in a way, how can we just bring that over and say, okay, we'll, we'll polish this up maybe in the marketing side, and then we'll send it out to our customers. But like, I think you're describing maybe a, another version of like how, um, content programming and like ways that you can kind of do some scale scaled approaches like could also fold into what you're talking about where it's like hey we're making this investment for all of our customers and it's really like um this type of research and things that are going kind of external are going to benefit them um here in the near future yeah absolutely and and one of the wonderful things about honeycomb just as a team or like the company and the culture is the way we've built our like our marketing wing specifically around content marketing is like we have a, a team and we have folks that are very good at writing really great blog posts know what resonates knows how to write things in a in a persuasive way but Everyone at the company, technical or technical or not, CSM or not, um, is is enabled to say like, hey, if you come into if you come up to an idea or come up to a use case that's just like really interesting and, or will resonate with with the audience, feel free to write it, and then we'll we'll run it by content marketing. They'll polish it up, and then out it goes. Like the for the size of Honeycomb, um, it's quite the the content generating machine. Like we we produce a lot of content um, for the for the community, and a lot of that content is generated from our CSMs, from our customer architects, um, because we're the ones seeing things on the front lines, working with our customers really closely. And we, we 
even our youngest like TCSMs, we we tell them from the from day one, if you have an interesting idea for a blog post, write it. Get us a V1 and we'll take a look at it. Like it and we'll we'll help you make it into something that you can publish and be proud of and share with the community and make the community better. Yeah, yeah. And that's a uh, I love your point too. Like, you know, we can help amplify you, right? Like that's that's part of the um the story that I think it's missed sometimes when you think about helping your teams out there, right? It's like, hey, this is really about like building up you and your expertise and your knowledge um, and and showcasing that for other people, right? And you can kind of take that with you to your new roles, right? Hey, I got published by our company doing X, Y, and Z, or hey, I was published in the community because I did this. Um, so yeah, I agree with that for sure. Uh, and it's interesting you talk about the Asana thing, um, right? Because I think the the other benefit that it sounds like you're going to be able to get from that, right, is um, is also understanding. So you, you kind of build in these these processes, these questions that people are answering, you can kind of help, you know, scope things out. But then some of the ancillary data that you get is understanding, okay, how long are certain projects taking, right? You start getting the, the resourcing part that says, okay, you know, is this team kind of at capacity, right? Or how, how many people do we really need? And then how do I start planning better for the future? You know, what types of projects or, or ways are architects being used, right? What are the most frequent and are those going to come up more often? Like you can start just using some of that tangential data to say, okay, how does this start scaling and look like in the future, right? Um, so that, that's the other piece that I think, like you said, kind of getting it into Asana, I would imagine that's going to be uh, a big benefit to you all as, as leaders in the company. Yep, absolutely. It's all about visibility and everyone being on the same page. And I, I think we're, we're taking good steps towards that for sure. Yeah. Um, so when you think about the the TCSMs and, and some of these architects, right, are there, um, I would say the classic example uh, that I think is overplayed, but maybe you do them, but it might be overplayed is like everyone just automatically says, oh, like in the enterprise, we always do a QBR and EBR, which um, I had a whole rant on that. Like, I just think, um, I think they can be valuable. I think nine times out of 10, they're just uh, like, they're almost like a check the box activity. And so we've kind of missed the value part of them. So that was my rant, um, you know, to some extent, but I'm curious, are there, um, if it is a QBR or other things, are there ways that you've kind of found, okay, you know, with our enterprise level clients, these are kind of great ways that we can drive engagement with them um, and feel like there's kind of value on both sides? Yeah, I, I think so. There's like two sides of this for us. One is um, the, the, I think the easier one is on the comm side. So like how we engage with our customers directly, just on a day-to-day, like not thinking strategic meetings, just like yeah. on a week-to-week basis that we engage with them. We're um, one of the, I think, ever-growing um, side of the CS population that leans on Slack very, very heavily. Like we, uh, Slack is, uh, we're, we're very, very big fans of Slack. Um, we use it um, religiously. And the way that we've we've deployed our model, and this has been the day since, since day one, since I started and something we've leaned into quite a bit is having shared Slack channels with our customers. Um, we have um, obviously our own Slack, like the Honeycomb yep. Slack, we have a, we have our, our community is also a Slack workspace that we call pollinators, um, cause playing on the Honeycomb B theme. Yeah, that's cool. um, and, um, and, and both through pollinators, as well as for, for some customers that want it, we do it as a shared channel through our, our Slack one way, shape or form. We have a shared Slack channel somewhere with every single one of our enterprise customers. That's just part of what they get when they, when they work with Honeycomb enterprise. Um, and so, and we, we do that because like a lot of folks are on Slack nowadays and we've just noticed that it just gets better engagement. It's easier to, to have conversations, um, in a, in a less, um, formal way, like a more kind of just shoot the shit kind of form. Than email, um, and we we tend to engage 
for most of our enterprise customer base, pretty heavily. Like on a rate on, I can only speak for my customers, um, but on a, like on an, on an average week, I talk once or twice with my customer key customer contacts through Slack. Um, it may just be like answering a question or just checking in on something, like like closing a ticket or, or checking in on something they're trying to build. Um, but that really keeps them close close to us in a good way and doesn't. And and by doing that, when we do do an EBR or a QBR, which we do do both, we um, those are still pretty nascent uh, functions for us. We're formalizing EBRs and QBRs more, but we try to do those. When we do them, it feels less awkward because it's not, for most of our customers, it's not like the last time we talked to them was three months ago, the last QBR. It yeah. was, we, we talked to you two mornings ago about something you were building in Kubernetes. Like, so it, and, and as a result, I, I've, I've sensed that the, my biased sense is that those conversations flow a little bit better. Getting in front of executives, like for an EBR is a little easier because we're not just reaching out once in a while. Like the, the executives yeah. at my customers know who I am, what, what they think of me. I'll, I'll leave that for, for their own, you know, musings, but, um, but they know who I am and it's easier to get a conversation going with them. So with all that said, I do agree with you that for the most part, QBRs and EBRs, especially when those are your, your primary points of contact for a customer, they are very heavily overplayed. It is really just a checkbox. And um, if they're not deployed correctly, they they just become more of a nuisance than anything. But if they're done in a way where like you're speaking with people on a regular basis, um, and it's really just to make sure that everyone is aligned on key initiatives, like the usage of their tool, what how like planning for next year and renewal, then they like in those situations for certain customers, it can drive value, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think my point about the QBR and EBR was um I think we spent a lot of times and I've sat in a lot of these, which is why like I have this uh version of it. Um, but I just think like, you know, nine times out of 10, it's like we build the meeting for ourselves, not building it for the customer, right? So uh, we're reviewing what's happening in the past. We're reviewing it about the tool. And so it's like, those are all things that I could send you ahead of time, right? And um, in the business setting, let's hold accountability to say, hey, Jeff, I sent that to you ahead of time because I wanted you to read it, right? I, I didn't want to re regurgitate all this stuff in the meeting, right? So Jeff, I need you to read this ahead of time. And then we're going to, you know, we're, we're not really going to go through those slides. We're going to maybe answer a couple of questions you might have about the slides, but then we're going to focus. And I think this is the point that you mentioned, which I, I definitely agree with, which is, you know, then we're going to focus, okay, what's happening in the future? Where are we going together? How are we doing this? Um, so yeah, I, I agree on that. The, uh, and the interesting part, I, I'm, I think I'm in on Slack as well. Uh, I think a lot of people are uh, that, that hesitant of like, oh my gosh, customers are going to over abuse this. They're going to message our team all the time. It's going to become noise. But um, I think that's such a, I think that's one of those things where it's like a rip the bandaid off. Like, Hey, you know, if you really just rip the bandaid off, it's nine times out of 10, you might have that one customer that does that, but it's not all customers. Uh, and I think your point holds so true, which is the way we really build relationships, relationships with people is in between the cracks. It's, it's the, Hey, you know, hey, just had this question about this. And then you casually say, oh, cool, like, weekend's coming up. What are you doing, Josh? You're like, hey, oh, caught this game last night. It's so cool, you know, or like, oh, got to go take my son later to this. And like, that's where you build a relationship, like on a really good level. And then the other benefit is that um, you have this consistent, like communication, you're seen much more, which I think actually gets you into the fabric of their business right now, instead of it, like you said, hey, we have to schedule this meeting every three months or every six months. It's like an EBR. It's like, no, we're already part of the fabric of the business. You can ping us and say, hey, something's happening quickly. We have a strategic initiative that's changed or we're, you know, we're, we've got a um, something coming up. But I think it almost makes you actually feel a part of the organization. Like, oh, we are actually are a partner here. We're not like a vendor, you know, like we're actually in here as a thought, thought partner with them. 
Absolutely. Like you, you hear that all the time because it is the right positioning that like CS is being presented as a partner. Like, hey, we as your CS, as CS um, of a vendor that you bought, we're your partner and there's a partnership there. And that's the right way to position it. But there is, I, I honestly feel there are so few companies that actually backed it up with partnership type of methods and partnership types of movement. And this kind of white glove delivery, as we, we, we kind of call it, like that, this feels like more of a partnership where with more constant communication. And, and to your point about like, you're, you're right, that um, from the outside looking in, opening up that can of worms and being like, it's going to be super noisy. I'm going to be overwhelmed as a CSM. It's going to be me like being basically a message queue for my life. The, I, I totally understand where that's coming from. And it is a reasonable thing to think from the outside looking in, but from someone who's lived it for two years and at times like at, at its, at, I wouldn't say at its worst, at its most um, stressful, I was managing um, like 40 of our large enterprise accounts that are paying us like 500 K or more a year. And like it, they're all very, you know, involved in a good way. So like I was managing 40 accounts, 40, 42 accounts at a time. And even at that point, the noise wasn't unmanageable. Like it, it, it's, yeah. you think it's noisier, but like you forget that your customers aren't sitting on Slack the entire day talking to you. They have other shit to do. Excuse <laughs> yeah. my French, but they have other shit yeah, to yeah. do. Um, so like it, it really is not that bad. Um, I don't, I don't think personally. And even even if it does get that bad, it is worth calling out. There are tools out there that can make it less bad, and That's not not to say. not to plug too too many other tools because we talked a lot like Asana, Gainsight, and other things. Um, we're basically turning into um, a, a billboard. Um, but one like there's a, a tool that we recently adopted is called Channeled, which is a Slack plugin that basically allows you to just mute all your customer channels if you want, and it all of the messages that come into customer channels go through a, a single board. Like it just it's a way of consolidating all the Slack. Um, information coming from your customers, manage everything from that board, get analytics about how you're engaging with them, um, but create tasks and internal notes too, on almost like intercom in a sense. Um, so we, we just adopted it and it's been been really helpful for us. So there's there's plenty of tools out there to make that kind of Slack ecosystem with customer your customer base a lot more consumable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's a great point. And it, it's still, I think the, um, yeah, I think the point that, that you're driving home to though is like something that I don't want people to miss on, which is like the, um, the getting in those cracks with your customers like that, like I think is, is the way that you build those deep relationships where then when that person leaves, it means something It matters. Like, okay, that person is going to take us with them. Right. Or they're going to bring us into the next company. Or, um, I think in, in the other case, right. Is like, typically you're going to have multiple people in the Slack thread where it's like, let's just say we have a risk, right. Josh might be leaving or something like that. And it's like, all right, now I, at least I have two or three other contexts in this Slack channel where I know like I'm, I'm going to be able to get a quick response from somebody or I'm going to, you know, it's not like I've, um, I'm, I'm kind of lost, you know, out on my own on, on an island uh, if that happens. So, um, so yeah, definitely, that definitely resonates too. Um, Absolutely. All right. What's the, what's another, uh, as you think about some of these activities that you're doing with um, your customers, is there anything else that kind of stands out for you? Like you said, kind of Slack um, sounds like it was a big one for your company. And then, um, like you said, you're you're trying to to make sure and, and keep those kind of QBRs or EBRs um, really value driven and kind of forward thinking. Is there anything else that you feel like uh, you all have adopted for customers, kind of uh, engagement wise? Yeah, I mean, by default, we try to. It, it doesn't always work out through. We try to have a monthly call with a customer um, at very least. Sometimes um, it's more frequent, like every other week. Sometimes it's less frequent. But ultimately, um, we we try to get that in the books as part of the onboarding process. Like, hey, we're going to meet once a once a month, let's say for a half hour. So it, it's it seems like a small thing, and it seems like something that's makes it you know at a, at a certain scale is going to be hard to manage. But again, from my 
very biased point of view. It, it, it has not been, I don't think. Um, and we actually had an interesting conversation uh, in my team um, this week and maybe the week before about um, like, if, if we're doing that, if we're putting that onus to have a monthly meeting with a customer, we, we want to come with come with value. We don't want to just show up to the meeting and have it turn into a, a shooting the shit situation for a half hour because that feels like we wasted the time. Yeah. Um, and so what are things that we can do? And we're, we're thinking through that. Like, what are things that we can by default do to bring value to the customer for that half hour meeting once a month? Um, and that onus should be on the TCSM. It's the same kind of like conversation we had earlier on of, of like taking the onus off of the customer and having them feel like, oh, I'm going to the honeycomb meeting and I'm going to learn something new, or I'm going to like be apprised of something that's coming down the pike for product wise, or I'm, I'm frustrated about something and I can get resolution to that something on, I, on that monthly call. Um, and we want to make sure that like the TCSM is, um, is enabled to have those calls and have them be productive. So the customer doesn't think to themselves, Oh, okay, well, here we go again. Here's that monthly call with honeycomb. That's just going to be a half hour that I can just make my coffee. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that definitely plays into it. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and it definitely, I think your, your point, right. It's like, um, we really got to make sure that it's, it is, um, uh, structured enough, right. That we feel like we're making progress on the key things that we need to and, um, and like approachable and make sure that like, Hey, this is something that they want to come to. Like, I think that's the other thing that I've, uh, as I've thought about like these, you know, relationships and trying to engage customers is like, you have to make these things like exciting in a way that like people want to come to them. Right. Like that's just another piece is that, we all sit on zoom calls all day. And so like, um, you got to find ways to hopefully bring some energy, bring some, uh, something unique, kind of making sure that, you know, you're polished and prepped in us in the right way. Cause, um, that'll stand out too. Right. Like I actually, um, uh, think that that's such a good point of like, Hey, if we've got the right agenda, we've kind of built it right. We, and we're, we're hitting on these things. Like, I don't know how often do you, I would like to say that all my meetings have agendas. Uh, that's just not the case. So like, you know, I think, you know, how, how can you stand out in a good way is like, if you do those small things really well, and those, those attention to details, it's going to stick out to a customer in a good way. Absolutely. And like, and, and even beyond the kind of boringness, the, 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 yeah, let's call it boringness of like, Oh, let's have more meetings. Other things that we try to do um, on the more like kind of relationship building side is something that it seems obvious, but very few folks I've noticed as vendors do um, nowadays is like celebrating with customers. And so like, for instance, one of um, our bigger customers, they, um, over the course of the last two years, like they had a major product launch where like a very, very major product launch where they used Honeycomb to help troubleshoot, they helped to, to test and to deploy to their production stack. And so Honeycomb was instrumental in the use of, in the, in the use of their day-to-day like you know, tooling. And that's, that's great. Like, it's not something that's going to make headlines around the the world because it's something that they're not going to share. Obviously that's, that's their IP, but we, they told us, Hey, we, we used Honeycomb and it helped us be better engineers. Um, and those types of things, or like, um, something as simple as our champions at customers getting promoted. It's, you know, the, it's, even if it's a small promotion, like that's something that they, they earned and we're proud to have partnered with them to get to that point. So, like sending them something nice. And even if we're not even sending them something like we have a channel in our Slack instance of like announcing these types of things. Just a few days ago, I announced like that one of our, our like two of our key champions at one of our biggest customers, they both got promoted. And I'm like, they're, they're both phenomenal people and phenomenal champions. And I'm like, they, they got, uh, they got promoted. And our CEO saw that. And she said, Oh, uh, let me reach out to, I know one of them. I'm going to go ping her and say, congratulations. Like these, these things to foster company-wide partnership, like not Honeycomb CS, but Honeycomb as a whole with yeah. company as a whole, like 
that speaks well and really does help build relationships more than just a monthly cadence, you know? Yeah. That's such a good point too, though, about the, like sharing that example, right. Where it's like, now the CEO is jumping in and like, people see that and they're like, Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, like we're, yeah, let's, let's celebrate these things. That's also, um, that goes such a long way for, for customers. Um, awesome. All right. I know we're here right at the end. So, uh, this was awesome. You, you know, talking through just how you all think about, uh, some of the roles on your enterprise team and how, you, you know, how you've deployed that against your customers, thinking about uh, using and, and kind of keeping things within scope. I think we talked through um, just some methods and ways that you all are engaging with customers um, and thinking about some of those interactions and endpoints uh, was awesome. So uh, Josh, I enjoyed this, appreciate you doing it. Uh, in the last minute here, uh, where can people find more of you or more of Honeycomb? Like this is your your chance to uh, kind of direct people the call to action here. So where, where can they go? Yeah, I mean, the I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, feel free to add me and, and, and on LinkedIn, happy to chat with folks. Um, Honeycomb, uh, it's easy to find us on ecom.io. Our blog, if you're interested in this type of thing or like observability and monitoring, our blog is a great content mark, content machine. Uh, feel free to go to blog.honeycomb.io um, and, and great stuff there. But yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Cool. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your Friday, uh, Josh. Excited for doing this and uh, we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. All right. See ya. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, Be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon. 